Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Have I mentioned recently that I hate technology? No, I had no idea. <laughs> wow. I would think that, you know, someone who's deeply involved with technology would, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're deeply involved in technology like I am, sometimes you can't help but hate it. Is exactly. there a specific reason? Well, I won't go into details, but I had the beta software blues today that took two hours of my life that I'll never get back. Um, But in general, it's just that there's too much technology. It's moving too quickly. And, you know, you and I, we focus on macOS and iOS, and there have been lots of bugs. And there's always problems. And every once in a while, I just think about what if all technological innovation were to stop for a year and we could just use what we have without thinking of getting something new? Okay, here's a really crazy idea. You can do that on your own. (laughs) I mean, I know the industry wants us to buy new things every year, and heaven knows we are very guilty of of getting uh, new stuff. For example, this this new iPhone that I bought this year. And uh, However, we want to talk about photography. In photography... Do you want to get a new camera every year the way we, you get a new phone? Like, is, is there any need? I don't think anyone needs a new camera every year. In, in fact, the camera cycle, what is it, every two, three years, depending on the manufacturer? So I bought the Fuji X-T3 early this year, and the X-T2 was two or three years old, right? Yeah, I think so. So, so on average, how long do you think that you've kept your camera models? Um, probably about a year and a half because I went through a period of trying different brands and different cameras. And now that I'm settled Mm. on Fuji, I don't think I'm going to change for quite some time. Okay. Okay. Because, so I've had my X-T3 just this year, but I had an X-T1 probably for, um, maybe it was like four years, four or five years. And before that I had like a Nikon D90 for like four or five years. And, you know, because you really didn't need to upgrade uh, unless you had like a specific reason, unless you were going to go shoot sports or what have you. But it seems like the increments in technology are advancing faster and and actually getting better in terms of, you know, what, what today's cameras are offering versus, you know, three years ago. And I don't think that that means that, oh, you don't really need the latest camera with the highest number of megapixels because, of course, the way we talk, we also like to focus on, you know, you can make good photos with any camera that you have. But there are definitely times when you want something that has, say, a better uh, low light sensitivity, for example. And it kind of throws that question back up in the air, like, okay, do I need a new camera? or my camera's fine. Maybe do I need a second camera? And it's just a coincidence that this podcast episode is coming out a week before Black Friday, which could be a good opportunity for people to buy a new camera or a second camera. So we want to discuss the different types of cameras and when you might want a new one or a second one. But before we get into that, um, we were talking just before we started recording about the latest financial results of the camera companies. Mm. And this is looking pretty dismal. Yeah, yeah. Well, this also ties into the, okay, what do I want to get in the future? And, you know, 
if you go to like a big box retailer like Costco here in the U.S., there are a ton of uh, you know Nikon's and Canons and DSLRs and low priced whatevers. Um, the question right now is, with that in mind, do you want to get a DSLR? Because DSLR sales are really tanking, and Nikon and Canon. Uh, you know, they're still in business and they're still these massive companies, but in terms of their, their camera divisions, their imaging divisions, not doing so well. What's interesting is that all these camera companies, and I'm trying to think, is there a single major camera company that does not make money from binoculars, telescopes, medical imaging equipment, or something else? I think they all no, I don't think so. make, make their money from that. So for them, they can lose money on cameras because cameras are a consumer-facing brand item that they can always showcase, whereas... I think Fujifilm makes CT scanners and Nikon makes high-end telescopes and binoculars. And so there's a market for those things. It's not changing as much. Um, but I saw some Fujifilm numbers this morning or yesterday um, suggesting that their sales are going down. Now, they'd been buoyed in, in the last couple of years by their Instax camera, which is this camera that shoots kind of like a Polaroid, little business card size photos. And they notably had an ad campaign with Taylor Swift. Um, and I think the fad is over and people realize that they just don't want to do this anymore and they've moved on. Well, I think – I wouldn't say the fad is over. Now, I, I'm saying this as someone who's never actually owned one, but I you know, have, have seen people with them um, – Excuse me, while I become an old man right here on this podcast. Oh wait, that's already <laughs> happened. <laughs> but uh, like, I I don't think the fad is over. But I think the reality and the reason why I've not really gotten into it is because you know it's it's cool, uh, it's a neat technology, it's fun, but it is expensive. You it's buy a, buck a photo. Yeah, you buy you know one of the cameras and that's fine, but then you're buying film and it's expensive film, and so. I think a lot of the people who are really into it are people who are younger, who maybe they don't want to spend all their money on film or, you know, or they've scaled way back. It's probably a case of scaling way back. So, you know, that business is not going away, but I think that it was really propping up Fuji's uh, photo business for a while and that started to erode. Yeah. So today we want to talk about the different kinds of cameras. Um, if you want a second camera or a new camera, you've got DSLR, you've got mirrorless, you've got Micro Four Third, which is just another form of mirrorless. I don't think there are any Micro Four Third DSLRs, are there? I don't think so. Okay. Then then you've got compact cameras, and, and there's a whole range of them from basic point-and-shoot to the ones with the really long zooms. Then you have these things called phones, which are actually cameras as well. What? And, and last but not least, you have things like the Leica and the Hasselblad, which are, you know, the price of a car if you get a, a nice kit with a camera and a few lenses. And maybe we can just start with that. Don't waste your money. I mean, I, I do lust after the Leica M monochrome, and there's a new version coming out next year. But it's just so expensive that if you really have money, well, send some our way. But also, you know, buy whatever you want because it's kind of cool to spend on something like that. If you're a pro, that's a totally different story. You know, we did an interview with Michael Kenna. Um, he's a professional landscape photographer. He uses Hasselblad. He shoots film. Um, but – 
you know, this is the kind of camera that people are going to use when they're making a lot of money from it. If you're a professional portrait photographer um, using a medium format like a Hasselblad or the Fuji, I think, GX50, GX100 cameras, um, this is – there is a reason for that. But we're not really addressing professionals or people with unlimited disposable income. Yes, we do not have unlimited disposable income. And also, I I have to say – as someone who has never really gotten into the, the the Leica brand and everything, I look at it from the outside and it seems like such a weird choice. So Leica just released a brand new camera or, or they're on the verge of releasing it. All, all the reviews have come out. Um, I, I want to say it's the SL2. And uh, DP Review, uh, we have friends over there, but we also read it. DP Review did a, a video review of it and we'll put a, a link in the show notes. The results of that review made me think that it's a perfectly nice camera. It's super expensive, but it lacks in a lot of areas. Like the autofocus isn't necessarily good. And, you know, it was beta firmware. But, you know, you are giving up things and spending more money for it. So, And even the electric viewfinder had some problems. Yeah, yeah. So it, and, it's just and, – and, it, and I believe that's a $4,000 camera. Amazing. Just without amazing. lenses, without lenses, right? The lenses you have to buy the lenses separately, right? Right. It's like so, razors and blades. The razor is the camera body, <laughs> and the blades are the lenses. And Leica lenses can be very expensive. Yeah, yeah. But but there is there is a need, and there are people who want those things. You know, Leica's making their money mostly, I think, um, from these limited editions. Yeah. I think the last one was like a Lenny Kravitz limited edition. Now, to be fair, I subscribed to Leica's magazine, LFI, and there were some photos by Lenny Kravitz, and they were quite nice photos. But I could have shot them if I were Lenny Kravitz with my Fujifilm X-T3. I could have probably shot the same photos. (laughs) Exactly. But so this is one of the big decisions. Do you need that 47 megapixels that's in the Leica SL2, or does the 26 megapixels in the X-T3 – is that enough for you? Or is a 16 megapixel camera enough? You know, I would have said last year, 16 megapixels is enough. And honestly, that's because I had uh, an X-T1 <laughs> that had 16 <laughs> megapixels. I was like, you know what? Everything's everything's fine. I'm okay. Um, but I will now say that now that I have a camera that does 26 megapixels, it's really nice to have that extra latitude to crop in. And it's also really nice to have, you know, much better low light sensitivity. Whereas before with my X-T1, once it got fairly dark, like that was it. I I really just needed to stop shooting because the, the image quality was so poor if it got really dark, unless I could, you know, have the camera mounted on a tripod and stabilized in long exposures and all of that. But that's an example of making a technological leap really did help in in the way I'm shooting. So, you know... Yes, but imagine what it would be like now with 50 megapixels. Well, I'm trying not to. You're going to say, <laughs> you don't need more than those 26. This is true. I don't. I really but, don't. But see, this is... People who use um, full-frame DSLRs, they always point to that. Oh, we got 50 megapixels yeah. and you get better... B- a background blur and yeah. um, better low light sensitivity. And, and I'm not really convinced that 
any of that matters that much for what we're doing in photography? Well, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, there are definitely arguments that can be made for you know different styles. Like for example, if I was more of a dedicated landscape shooter, if I was uh, you know making money from landscape photography and not just sort of writing about it and and you know enjoying it, um, having a higher megapixel Sony camera would definitely be appealing because you can get a lot more image data from like a big vast expanse like like that makes sense but again but what? you have to carry all that stuff you have to carry all that stuff and and we had david Dushman on an early episode of the podcast and i know that he switched to fujifilm cameras a couple of years ago and i remember him in one of his podcasts or one of his articles where he mentioned how much he appreciates the the lighter weight of all the gear, the bodies and the yeah, lenses. Yeah. Well, and you know, to be fair, the Sony's are rather small. They are mirrorless, um, but you still have all that stuff. And also, you have to deal with a lot more storage because with when you have those much higher megapixels, you have much higher files, and you know, this isn't new. SD cards and cloud yeah. storage and bandwidth, yeah. the amount of time it takes to process on the computer, there's twice as much yes. work um, for the software, so you need a faster computer, yeah. and that just breaks your bank balance. So basically, we've decided that no one should get a camera. No, 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 wait, wait. <laughs> no, no one should get more than 26 megapixels. But again, you mentioned earlier, if you were a professional landscape photographer, I think we need to just wipe that away. We're not professionals. If you are a professional and you're listening to us, well, thank you. But we're not really talking to you. We're talking to, you know, civilians, average people who take photos because they enjoy it or want to take photos of their family. I think as a professional, your tools are tools. Your business pays for your tools. So you don't have to justify wanting more megapixels or a different lens. It's a tool that you use to make money. Yes. I would agree, although... I don't want to scare away our good professional listeners. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've been running a business as a freelancer for more than 20 years. I have never hesitated to buy hardware of any kind or even software if it would make me more right. money. And, and I think it's a totally different consideration. No, no, I, I, I completely agree. I just didn't want you to scare away people. <laughs> okay. How about we take a break and we're going to... We don't have a sponsor. We're going to have some music to go deedly-deedly-dee for a little bit, and then we'll come back and we're going to talk about the different types of cameras. Okay, DSLR and mirrorless. Now, when I got back into photography some years ago, I immediately went for mirrorless because smaller looks like the kind of cameras that I was using in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I went for an Olympus and I just never went through the DSLR process, the big ass not seeing what the camera is doing. And I, I think this is relatively, what is in the last 10 years, mirrorless sort of came of its own, and we now have really high quality. I don't have the experience to say, buy a mirrorless, don't buy a DSLR, but it seems from what I understand when I hear people talking about cameras that um, 
you don't hear much about an exciting new DSLR camera. You hear about an exciting new mirrorless camera these days. I have the experience. Buy a mirrorless. Don't buy a DSLR. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because – and there, there's all sorts of reasons. The weight is one of them. But... The weight, yeah, and and just the ability to see what your sensor is recording in a much better way I, I think is better. I mean honestly right now the reasons for getting a DSLR would be either you need really high-end like you know $5,000 Nikon camera DSLR for some you know specific reason or you – want to spend as little money as possible and you're going to get like a $400 uh you know Canon something at Costco that is a starter camera. And when I got into photography, I sort of took that different route which was, you know, I had had point and shoots, I had had compact uh super zooms. And so in my mind, a DSLR was like, okay, if I'm going to do this for real, I need to get a DSLR because that's what you have to do. That's a real and, camera. And, and back then, yeah. like, you know, mirrorless was, was really on the fringes. And so that's what I did. And so when it came time to get a new camera, you know, of course I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe I want to get like the Nikon, uh, I don't remember what it was, D830 or something. Um, and that just seemed like like the next natural thing. The size didn't bother me too much because I was used to having that size. However, once I did get a mirrorless in my hand and had the opportunity to buy that X-T1, it changed everything. You have seen the light. I have seen the light. A lot of it goes back to things we've mentioned here before. If you're going to get something new, if, if at all possible, get your hands on it. See how it feels. See you know, how heavy it is, how... It's going to feel just, you know, the the controls because that makes such a huge difference. I noticed just last week that Canon just released a camera called the ERS RAW, R-A, which is a mirrorless. It's not a DSLR, but it's specifically designed for astrophotography. Mm. Now, I had no idea that this existed, but it's like it has a special um, infrared filter to get – um, the 656 nanometer wavelength for hydrogen alpha rays. Um, it has special low light focus things. Um, there are specific types types of camera like that, and this is a mirrorless, but there are also DSLRs. Uh, but I think that for if it if it's a walking around camera, um, you know, mirrorless is. So, some years ago, people would say, oh, mirrorless, it's not a real camera. But now these things are mature and they're, they're an awful lot better than they probably were in the beginning. Um, you've got in the mirrorless area, you've got micro four thirds and you've got APS-C. So Fujifilm uses an APS-C sensor. I would assume Sony, Nikon, Canon, they all use an APS-C. That's a 3-2 aspect ratio, whereas micro four thirds is a 3-4 or 4-3 aspect ratio. Um, one of the in interesting advantages of Micro Four Thirds is the sensor is smaller, and that means the lenses can be a lot smaller. And I know that my Olympus lenses were probably 30 or 40 percent smaller and lighter than my Fujifilm lenses. So if you're looking for something and you want to use multiple lenses or even just a zoom lens, um, looking at the Micro Four Thirds can be an interesting choice. So let me ask you this question. That made me think of even going smaller. And obviously there are like tiny point and shoots, but there's that like sweet spot in the middle where 
you have a compact camera, uh, some that just have fixed lenses, but they're still really good. Like the like the Fuji uh, X100F, XF100. X100F, yeah. Now, I had one of those for a little bit more than a year. And what I really liked it, and it was like I had two cameras. Um, I had a, a an Olympus Pen F, and then I got the Fuji X100F, and that's kind of what made me transition over to Fuji. They're both wonderful cameras. The X100F is really small and light because the lens is integrated, and so it's it's a lot closer. It doesn't come out very much. And there are a couple other companies that make that. I think Ricoh makes a camera that's really popular among people doing street photography. Mm-hmm. There aren't that many, and the problem with a camera like that is it's really limited. Now, if you're only doing street photography and you only want to use that 35-millimeter equivalent lens of the X100F, it's a great camera. You can screw on these really comical-looking things to make it um, – uh, let's see. It would be a 50-millimeter equivalent or a shorter 27-millimeter equivalent. They're big and heavy, and they, they get rid of all of the compactness. Um, and – they are not. E- they have to screw in just right. You know, sometimes you put a filter in. If you don't get it right, the threads can get stuck. Mm-hmm. So it's really not an ideal situation. It, it's a great. It's probably my favorite camera ever, but it's just too limited. Well, see, that's the thing. I remember. Uh, so my friend Mason Marsh, who we had on an episode to talk about tripods, um, at one point he had one of those little, uh, like one of the precursors to that, and. Like, I honestly didn't understand why he had that when he also had, like, a a bigger, better camera. And the answer was basically, you know, it was something that he could more easily carry with him. And, you know, it it didn't need a photo bag. And so, you know, for me, I think getting something like that, the appeal would be, okay, I can actually have, you know, a better camera than my phone, which is still a very good camera – to do, you know, more spontaneous shots, whether that's, you know, me in the street or just every day. And I like, I feel like I'm on the cusp of that because I I typically have my X-T3 in my bag and, you know, my bag has my computer and all that. So I'm sort of used to carrying a sort of a larger load. Um, I mostly keep a 27 millimeter pancake lens on there. And so that's similar, like, like it's small enough that I feel like I can, I can carry it around anywhere. But it really doesn't compare if you have something as small and as capable as the X100 series. Yeah, and they're coming out with a new one next year. Um, It will be the X100V. Now, do you know how their naming system works? The first one was the X100. Then it was the X100S. Then it was the X100T. Then it was the X100F. Yes, I do. Well, find, find the pattern. I only know this because you told me because I had no right. idea. S for second, T for third, F for fourth, and the next one's going to be V, Roman numeral for fifth. I'm waiting for the X100M for monochrome. That would be really nice. But the problem with that is that you're still deciding which camera do I take. Do I take the one that's a little bit smaller and more limited, or do I take the one that's a little bit bigger and I can take a second lens or bring a zoom lens just in case? And for me, it just ended up being futile having the two cameras competing with each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would assume, or at least maybe this is my my ideal scenario, which is if you have a smaller camera like that, you end up taking more pictures with it. And, you know, again, I think maybe a few years ago, that would be a no-brainer. 
now uh, with an iPhone 11 Pro, you know, like like that is what I use to capture just everyday exactly. slice of life things, things that need to be yeah. caught quickly. And, you know, it, it does a really good job. So I don't know. I, yeah. I like the Why idea bother? of it, but I yeah. can't quite pull the trigger on it. So in between, you get compact cameras, and you get compact cameras that just have basic lenses that zoom a little bit, and then you get the ones that they call zoom cameras or zoom travel cameras. And there's one that I've been following for a while. It's the Lumix Zoom Travel Camera DC TZ220EB. Oh, I just have to I love appreciate the naming <laughs> of those cameras. Um, this came out with a Leica equivalent. I forget the C, Leica C-Lux, I think it was called. Um, the Leica sells for 875 pounds here. The Lumix lists at 600, and you can get it for about 500. Now, what I like about this is it's really compact. Think deck of cards with a lens stuck on it. Um, it has a 15x zoom, and I'm not sure what that means. It's like 16 to 190 or something. It's it's a really big zoom. It's got a 20 megapixel sensor. Um, which brings you well above an iPhone at 12 megapixels. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't get the same low light. You don't get the same computational photography that's in the iPhone. Um, while it would be nice to have a camera like that, and I did have one of these little Lumix back in the day um, with a Leica lens, which was really nice. In fact, when I moved here from France, I had one of those. It's just there – again, you're coming into limitations because the phone is creeping upwards, catching up to these cameras, and it's hard to justify the cost of 600 pounds for a camera like that when I've already gotten an iPhone. Yeah. So two things with that. One is we can't discount the size of the sensor because if you're going to get a – camera like this, you're getting a larger sensor. So you're going to have... This is a one-inch sensor. So it's nowhere near as big as a normal mirrorless, exactly. but it's a lot bigger than an iPhone. Exactly. I mean, the reason the iPhone has all the computational stuff is because it's it's making up for the lack of a large sensor, just because it's it's something small that's inside the phone body. So you know you can get an advantage to that. However, the second thing is, and I think this applies to everything we've been talking about, you're still spending... $400, $900 or more to get a second camera. Now, if that's no big deal or if you have a specific use for it, uh, you know, then that's not an issue. But, you know, we're still spending money and you still have to justify that cost. Well, again, what I like about this camera is the zoom. Yeah. Uh, a 15x zoom. 24 to 360 millimeters in 35 millimeter equivalent. And with an optical zoom, you can get almost a double of that. So 24 to 360 millimeters, 360 millimeters, that's huge. You know what those big ass DSLR yes. 360 millimeter lenses look like? And, and you need like a trolley to carry them. <laughs> um, so there is an advantage to that. Yeah. Um, however, it's 600 pounds and 600 pounds is, you know. Yep. Now, now, for me, that would be a kind of camera – so I work at home. I, I don't commute. I don't travel. Um, but this would be the kind of camera I would stick in my pocket if I did commute and always wanted a camera next to my iPhone. And while the iPhone's good for most things, it's the zoom lens here that makes a difference. So a data point about that. So my wife was recently in Europe, and she took a trip with her mom, and she took uh, an iPhone 11 Pro, which she upgraded to this year specifically because she wanted a better camera. And then she has a, a Canon Super Zoom. It's like a PowerShot S 
something. Uh, it, it's a few years old, but the idea is it's a fixed lens, but it does have like that kind of really great zoom. And she is not a photographer, but she has a really good eye. She has actually a better eye than I do. And she basically used the the Canon maybe an eighth of the time when she was making photos. And it was only because it had the zoom where she could get something that was far away. Every other shot that she took, you know, on this tour in Eastern Europe, she took with her iPhone and was very happy with it. Well, but think about it. Think about the iPhone process. You put the phone up in front of you, you tap the little thing to make the shutter go chick, and your photo is saved to your phone, goes up to the cloud. When you get home, you don't have to worry about your SD cards yeah. and, and, and erasing them accidentally. The advantages to the phone system, be it iPhone or Android, uh, are, are such that it's kind of an end-to-end -end solution. It's not just the hardware, it's the software as well. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. I, I don't have much else to say except that I still want a Leica M monochrome just because <laughs> of what it does. Um, if Fuji made one, I'd be more than happy to get one or even if, I don't know, some other company came out with a camera like that. I, I hope that we've helped because, again, we talking before the show. There were two people that we're speaking to here. The person who wants to get a second camera and isn't sure which. And this second camera could be for walking around. It could be for a trip um, or the person who wants to renew their camera. And before the show, we were talking both about the Apple Watch and Jeff has last year's and he's like tempted to get this year's. And I said, it's really not that much of a difference. It's, it's not worth it. Um, and then we were talking about TVs, that I've been looking at TVs, and in order to get a TV that's better than what I have, I spent 900 pounds three and a half years ago, um, standard 4K HDR. And if I wanted an OLED TV, it would be like 1,500 pounds, and I'm just not spending that on a TV. And I think the same thing is true with a camera. If you've got a 20 megapixel, don't spend money to get the latest 24 or 26 we do this for a living, so we buy the iPhone every year. I buy the watch every year. We buy Macs every few years. But most people don't ever need to do this. I see no reason for average people to not keep a camera five years. However, gear acquisition syndrome. It is. It's real. You always want the new thing. And, you know, you can compensate by getting a lens or something else. But, yeah, if you're stuck into the gear acquisition syndrome thing, then... Buy whatever you yeah. want. Well, and I think this all comes back to, and I'm partially saying this because remember, we're not a gear podcast, even though we've been talking about gear all this whole time. I know, however, right? however, it all goes back to the intent of what you want to do. If you are shooting things that need more low light sensitivity, more resolution, then yeah, it makes sense. If you find that you are not taking photos because your camera is too big, too heavy, even if it's a mirrorless, a small mirrorless, then, you know, spending the money to get a little compact, uh, something like a Fuji X100F, if that means that you're taking more photos and you're enjoying it more, then by all means, it's worth it. So, you know, think about the intent of, you know, what photos do you want to make and then figure out what gear will help you do that rather than just going and looking online and going, oh, oh, that, that, <laughs> that Fuji X Pro 3, actually, no, that doesn't look appealing at all. Yeah, no. But no, something else. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, snapshots. What have you got, Jeff? A couple of weeks ago, 
by the time you're listening to this, uh, was Veterans Day. And I ran across this article at the New York Times called An Art Show by Veterans Armed with Cameras that I thought was really intriguing. Uh, it's about a photography art show where this project, they gave uh, military veterans cameras to help them deal with basically reintegrating back into society, dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's interesting to see different ways that people can cope. Um, some of the, the quotes in this article, there was one that mentions that, you know, some veterans who are dealing with issues, you know, they know they need to talk about it, but they don't want to talk about it. And so uh, you know, it says here, like he said that the point of the workshop as he saw it was to give veterans a way to communicate without having to have a conversation. And it's you know, clearly like an experience that I do not have. And it's a nice look into seeing, you know, not just what life is like for veterans, but also what they're coming up with to express their internal uh, idea. Some of it is sort of straightforward. Some of it is very uh, abstract. And it's an interesting look into uh, photography done by people who are not quote unquote photographers or professional photographers. And I found it an interesting insight into, you know, an experience that I do not have. I think pretty much anyone in society today where we see so many images, if they were given a camera, they would be able to make images that fit in with the way people look at images today. And, and I agree, this is a very interesting process. Um, I saw something not long ago about someone who gave a two-year-old kid a camera and some of the photos that came out of that. And it was really fascinating. Yes, yes. So... Uh, check it out. Um, it's linked in our Facebook, and of course, it'll be in our show notes. Kirk, what do you have today? Very often, I struggle to find a good snapshot because I don't really have gear acquisition syndrome, so I'm not always buying stuff, and I've talked about cameras and lenses. So I have an idea that everyone should have one of these for their photography. Ooh, ooh, wait, wait. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it a, uh, a, a trigger release? No. Is it a tri – it's a tripod, right? No, it's a cat. Everyone should have a cat for their photography. <laughs> I mean, if you follow this show, you know I take a lot of pictures of my two cats. Um, cats are wonderful because you can just take pictures of them all the time and they look interesting. <laughs> you can take pictures when they're asleep, when they're awake. Um, uh, here, uh, the Rosalind just came in and just meowed at me because she wants more food. And if I point the camera at her, she'll look at me all quizzical. In fact, last week's episode, we used a picture of Rosalind next to a picture of Jeff. And I, I think the juxtaposition you did, those two photos are quite interesting. <laughs> um, I'm being a little facetious, but cats are cool and they're good for photography. I mean, it's really good to practice your um, continuous autofocus. Um, when a cat's running across the garden, mm -hmm. um, really good to practice using your zoom lens, getting down really low with that articulating LCD. There's a lot of skills in photography that you learn when you're taking pictures of cats. You know, any sort of pet is good for this. Uh, speaking as someone who unfortunately is allergic to cats, I encourage everybody to go listen to episode 46, where we talked to Nora Levine about pet photography. And that was something that I found fascinating because I just sort of figured that there wasn't that much to it. And that's not the case at all. So yes, uh, everyone should get a cat 
or some other pet along with their cameras. Shouldn't there be like a bundle deal? Wouldn't that be it a... It would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. If Fujifilm would bundle the X-T3 with a cat, you know, you get a free kitten when you buy a camera. If you get the Leica monochrome, then you get to pick either a white cat or a black cat. Seriously, though, if you do want a cat, go to your local cat rescue center. Um, I feel guilty that we have two pedigreed cats here because British short hair cats are very cool. But we actually, in the next village over, have a cat rescue center um, that gets lots of cats and they get adopted and make a cat happy and take lots of pictures. Um, so it's Black Friday next week. If you do buy any new cameras or camera gear, drop a comment on our Facebook page and let us know what you bought and why. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Until next week, thanks again for listening.